Miss Evelyn, we had an absolutely glorious time visiting with uh, Jan and Waverly down in Carbondale on our retired rotor cross-country trip. Uh, great memories. Yes, yes it was. There I go with yes again. <laughs> yes, two of our favorite people in the whole world. And we got a chance to visit with my sister Mary Lou and Jan is the daughter of Mary Lou Shelton of Vian, Illinois. And we're trying something really new this morning, Evelyn. We're uh, reaching out with our podcast and talking to people via the electronics. We're using the telephone to talk to Jan and Waverly. Uh, Waverly Robinson and Jan Robinson from Carbondale. Uh, good morning, guys. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, what's in the... Uh, future this morning for the Robinsons. Sounds like you're on the road. We are actually driving to St. Louis just for no reason. Uh, Waverly's birthday's next week, so we're going to maybe go into Whole Foods if it doesn't look like very many people and buy some specialty cheese. Does that sound exciting? Sounds good to me. <laughs> COVID uh, excitement. Are you uh, going to celebrate his uh, birthday in St. Louis or are you going to bring him back to Carbondale? No, we're just going up there for the day, and we're coming back home. Good, good. Well, you know, today's a special day in our life, and you don't remember what it is, but then I'm going to tell you, this is it's our 40th anniversary. 40th anniversary. Can you believe? Wow. 40 I can't years. It. Happy anniversary. Yeah, Happy so anniversary. Most, most, Thank pe you. most people don't live that long, you know, and to be married that long. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, guys, you're headed to St. Louis, and uh, big cities are uh, moving and shaking around. I don't know what their situation is as far as the uh, uh, citizens' uh, concern about racial injustice. And uh, I specifically wanted to talk to you, Waverly, because you are African-American, and uh, you are married to my niece, and uh, you're living in Carbondale, Illinois, which is uh, uh, a college town and a, a fairly liberal area. But uh, one of the biggest things that's happening in the news today, of course, is the demise of John Lewis, who is a civil rights uh, icon. And I know you spent a lot of time in Chicago. Did you ever have an opportunity to meet him? No, I never met him, but I... I did know some people, I, I originally from New York City. And so in New York, um, there was, I used to work for the United Negro College Fund. And there were a lot of civil rights um, advocates that would come by the college fund and do a lot of lectures. And so, but John Lewis was not one who I, who I personally met. Yeah, who are some that you met that uh, just caused you to lean back and say, gosh? Uh, there were just some members from the Congress of Racial Equality. Uh, there was uh, a couple that worked with uh, Dr. King, um, and you know, just 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 being in their presence, you know, kind of meant a lot to me, especially for what they were doing for African Americans. Yeah, what was your role with the organization? Uh, when I was at the United Negro College Fund, it was just basically fundraising for historically black colleges, uh, but that drew a number of. Uh, uh, members of the African-American community that were civil rights people to the college fund because um, they were the, uh, some of them had actually graduated and wanted to see those schools uh, kind of thrive. The uh, progress of where we've come in America as far as uh, racial inequality and 
equal rights. Uh, can you describe the progression of your life, of what you saw as a young man, a uh, teenager maybe, all the way up to today's date? Uh, you know, there are, there are many people right now giving testimonies. They're being asked to kind of describe their experiences living in the United States as an African-American. And many, uh, it's kind of interesting, many of the stories are very similar from many people who felt that they didn't receive the economic uh, opportunities that other members of society received, or they didn't have the freedom and civil rights to uh, kind of move about the country. But uh, one of the things I think, uh, one of the more important things is, uh, you know, you get to a point where uh, there are certain things you have in mind when you walk out the door that you know uh, other groups don't have to worry about. For example, running into the police or acting a certain way or dressing a certain way. And you always felt kind of a, 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 an unusual pressure that I had, to, I had to act in a certain manner. Otherwise, it would cause some issue for yourself. Waverly, how old were how old were you whenever you uh, whenever you realized that you had to do that, but that others did not have to do that? Oh, I was very young, probably like twelve, something like that. You just you just kind of, you know I was very socially conscious of my environment, so I, I just saw the differences that people were going through, uh, you know, different groups were going through. But I also uh, realized that poverty was pretty prevalent in the country, and and poverty really has no color. Well, I know one of the leading politicians was saying that poverty was the root cause of racial injustice. Do you subscribe to that? Uh, without a doubt. I think, you know, I was talking to someone recently and we were talking about uh, reparations for African Americans. And, you know, we were kind of struggling, what does that mean? Uh, because if you gave somebody a lump sum of money, it really doesn't. Uh, kind of equate to the wealth that their generation has lost. Yeah, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, well, in fact, my daughter sent to me a video of a young lady who described just that. She she went all the way back to the slave trade and uh, took us by progression of the uh, lack of opportunity for these people all the way through so that whenever there is a riot, uh, they actually look at a TV set inside of a store as something that equates to, to what the white person has all the time. They, they get that uh, automatically. And uh, for the, uh, for the uh, underprivileged, it is, uh, a, a, it's a goal. It's a goal to seek, to, to be like. Uh, the rest of society. Uh, it was rather eye-opening for me to, to see a lot of the uh, people who have been lukewarm toward equal rights and, and uh, equal justice because, you know, I go back to Colin Kaepernick who simply expressed himself by taking a knee uh, at a ball game and uh, he, he did it for racial injustice. And man, the world came down on him. But I, I see a reversal now. Uh, the, the team yesterday, they all took a knee. Uh, so it takes a while. There's a lag time, isn't there? Well, yeah, I, I thought uh, the, the thing about Colin Kaepernick was that he actually originally sat down while the national anthem yeah, was being that's played. Right. 
That's right. And uh, one of somebody from the military came over to him and said, you know, that's to him, the person in the military, that was disrespectful. He said, I would feel better if you just knelt down. So he just went down on one knee because he said he was respecting the flag and respecting the soldiers. And but that, you know, that got kind of lost in the message, you know, that he was really just kind of kneeling down for racial injustice. And it kind of, you know, kind of bubbled into this whole issue of disrespect for the flag. And he no, he always said that was never the point. Yeah. 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 And it took a while for uh, for America to catch up with him. The uh, the Floyd uh, uh, video, uh, the, the long video of a man being choked to death, uh, kind of aroused the people, and not not kindly, it just exploded into a, a world, not only in the United States, but a, a world revolt against injustice. Right, and you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and he was African-American as well, and we were talking about the police and the way uh, you, you sort of become, when you live in major cities like that, and you're African-American or, or Hispanic, actually, too, uh, you, you kind of <clears throat> become a, uh, almost used to the idea that the police are not uh, quite, not something you seek out in a friendly manner. And you sort of avoid, avoid it at all cost. And you know that if you act a certain way, they're going to act in a more aggressive way uh, that other groups don't have to worry about. Have you had personal experiences in that regard? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've had quite a few, actually. Hey, I'm going to interject here. Um, uh, who are you? Had, who are you? I'm, I'm the <laughs> wife. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm in Illinois. lived there my whole life. And um, Waverly and I, you've been together for 10 years. Uh, I never really thought about the cop thing. But uh, we were driving to Natalie's house in Lake of the Ozark. Uh, Waverly uh, was in the left lane. There were some other cars. He was going around. You know, he wasn't speeding. We got pulled over. And the, the cop said, I want, uh, can you, you know, he asked for the, light, the um, registration and then driver's license. And then he asked Waverly to step back into his car. Well, I've never had a cop ask me to step back into their car. And so I'm sitting there, and Waverly goes back to the car. He's back there 35, 40 minutes. I was scared to death because I thought, okay, what, we're in Missouri. And here this man is just checking Waverly out. Uh, I didn't know what was going on. So tell him what the, the cops, the police officer said to you. Well, you know, I just tried, actually, I tried to defuse the situation. Not that he was being, he wasn't really being aggressive, but I just tried to defuse the situation because I knew Jan was probably nervous sitting in the car, wondering why is he asking me to come back here. So I just said, okay, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to jump out of the car and do anything, but I just, you know, started asking him a bunch of questions as to what he was doing. And so he said, well, I'm just checking to see if you have any offenses and any uh, infractions. And I said, oh, okay. I said, what kind of machine is that? And he showed me the machine. He showed me how to enter the information. And I and I was just sort of going along with him in a friendly manner. He asked me whose car it was. And he asked me whose car it was. And I said, it's my wife's car. And I said, uh, it's not my car. I said, I don't drive those kind of cars. And he just kind of laughed. But one interesting thing he did ask me, he said, he said well, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm retired. And he said, well, what did you do? And he said, I said, I used to run the hospital. And he said, oh, you must be pretty smart. And I said, some people say that to me. <laughs> oh, 
So how did you take that? Uh, I just ignored it, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I, did I like it? No. But I just ignored it because I wanted to diffuse it. I wanted to get away from them, and I, and I wanted to make sure my wife was fine. So I said it didn't it make any sense for me to kind of get sassy or just look at them like, you know, come on, guy. So I just said, you know what? Uh, the only way out of this is just to go along with it. So I think I, I've never had – I don't think if he was a white – a person of his age, he would have been asked to get out of the car and had to stay back there for 35 to 40 minutes because he was uh, he was driving in the uh, left lane passing somebody. Yeah. And we weren't seeing. But, um, I, and I had never experienced that. Uh, I was just scared. Because I thought, okay. And, but you know, Waverly's Mr. Late, you know, nice guy, always respectful. But, and, you know, I'm hateful whenever I get pulled over. And I thought, but I was being very, I changed my demeanor, too, because I was not going to put him at risk. Waverly, in your experience, has it, is it a uh, institutional uh, bias? Is it, uh, is it uh, police corps-wide, uh, a certain element of racism? Well, I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think, one... Uh, no one ever said you, that um, you had to have a Harvard degree to be a police officer. So you got that element, and then you got the historical element of policing in the in the country. You know, uh, you know, police units were actually formed originally, you know, to round up slaves. You know, and and any uh, slave that ran away. I mean, and then you you take that history of it. So it really wasn't police officers are really not, uh, you know there to kind of uh protect they're they're more there to create you know to keep order you know and i think that's their mentality is to keep order they're not there to protect and i think citizens look at police to help protect you know and and to follow rules but they're there more for you know what they think is to keep order and so that's why you see a lot of uh a lot of police on television they've got their right gear on they're unfortunately hitting people and tear gassing them and and, you know, kind of tossing them around because they believe that their mission is to keep order. Well, do you, uh, do you keep order by causing disorder? I'm sorry, say it again? Do you, do you keep order by uh, causing uh, what they're causing, like in Cleveland and, and places like that? It appears that they're compounding the problem and... Uh, you know, I, I would suspect that communications is going to be the secret to all of it anyway, and that doesn't look like a very uh, two-way communication process. Right. And, you know, I, I know some people have also asked to defund the police. Uh, I, I'm not a, in favor of defunding the police, but I am in favor of maybe reorganizing the police and, and, and taking a closer look at the types of people they hire and also the the mission of being a being a police officer. What's their mission? You know, I mean, so and, and you know, and there've been some discussions about maybe there are certain things that police need not be involved in. I agree with that too. I mean, to call a police officer because somebody may have been passing a phony twenty dollar bill, I think that's a waste of resources. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But but you know, I, I, and I just think we just need as a society. I think it's time to kind of kind of revisit what we're asking or expecting our police to do. Yeah, and that uh, telephone call was the uh, 
was the beginning of the uh, Floyd video that uh, went worldwide. And incidentally, I think it was a teenage girl who saw the uh, the injustice and actually pulled out her phone and did the uh, video that went viral. Uh, right. What can we do? Uh, what can we do, Waverly, as individuals to make make life better for everyone in this regard? <laughs> Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so much to be done. I, I, you know, it's, and I, I've talked to a lot of people myself about what can be done. And it's like, you, you almost say to yourself, where do you begin? Because it, it's so ingrained in our society. Uh, you know, we were talking the other day, we were saying, I, and this is my opinion, one of the things that I would love to see, and, and this is really not solving the problem, but it, it's kind of indicative of the problem is this whole situation of every time we talk about African-Americans, we talk about them as former slaves or the, or the descendants of slaves. And I keep saying to myself, you know, every time you use that word slave, you still have this master slave mentality that people yeah. see. Yeah. So they don't see it. They don't see it as you're being equal to or, or greater than. They see it less than. Yeah. And so it's, it's like in Nazi Germany, they don't say... Uh, there was, uh, a, a, you know, kind of, they call it the Holocaust. So why can't we either call it American Holocaust or call it something other than slaves? Because it, it still invokes this image of something less than. And, you know, people still look and say, well, these people are different from me. They're, they're less than me. And, and that's far from the truth. And I think we all hopefully know that. But, but anyway, that to me is just even how you, how you present the issue to begin with. Uh, you can't, you know, you got to do it on equal footing. Now, there are educational issues, I think, you know, public schools systems, because you have minority groups living in major cities that really need to major attention. I mean, I think a lot of it's education, but I think a lot of it, too, is just economics. I mean, our country, as you said it earlier, is just based on economics. And uh, I heard the other day that some of the organizations were saying, well, we're going to have more executive. We're going to do some executive minority recruitment programs. And I threw my hands up in the air because I said, damn it, why don't you just hire people? You know, what is this executive minority group stuff? Uh, you don't have executive minority, you don't have executive programs for white males. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like hire somebody already, you know, and, and sometimes you hire, whether white, black, green, yellow, sometimes you hire and guess what? It works out. Sometimes you hire and it doesn't work out. You know, and that's what you got to do. You got to get past all that to say, well, I'm going to create something. We're going to create a commission. We're going to create a, an, uh, an executive program. You know, and, and I was talking to somebody the other day. These discussions have been going on since the 50s. It's like, give me a break already. Right. <clears throat> well, you know, I... so you got to just start hiring people economically. You got to fix the educational systems, you know, that are broken. There's no doubt about it. Uh, rep- having a discussion about reparations would help, though I still say, you know, reparations is really only a beginning for some people because there, there are so, so many generations that did not have an opportunity to accumulate wealth and catch up to everybody, you know. Yeah. But you've got to start somewhere. Well, I, you know, I don't want to appear holier than thou because I was raised about 35 minutes from your home in Carbondale. I was raised in Benton, Illinois. And uh, my goodness, Franklin County was uh, almost devoid of, uh, almost void of, of blacks uh, whenever I was growing up. I had no knowledge of uh, who they were or, or anything. I didn't know anyone personally and 
didn't meet anyone until I enrolled at SIU in Carbondale and uh, had some real good friends in Carbondale. And then I went to the United States Army in Fort Dix, New Jersey. And Fort Dix was the site of uh, emptying all the jails from New York City. And I met the, I met the very bad of human nature at, uh, at Fort Dix. But, but uh, I, was, I was raised racist racist and uh and am not proud of it but and truthful about it um it, my my father was not but uh my mother had a tinge of it and uh so whenever you talk about what can we do and how should we do it uh you know there's there's a lot of i'm really sorry for the way i was whenever i was growing up and even later in life and uh, I would like to do more and and uh, help in that area. But uh, if you if you believe that Southern Illinois has crossed the threshold of being anti-racist, then I will argue that point because I, I think it's still a hotbed of uh, a racial prejudice. No, I, I would say so. Like you were saying earlier, there may be pockets of areas that are a little more liberal than others. But as a whole, no, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think Carbondale, is, Carbondale is, is, a, is a good spot because the university brings so many people in. And, and then, of course, there's a more liberal thought in uh, Carbondale than there is some of the other communities uh, that uh, act like uh, they're the Deep South uh, in the way they operate and think. Anyway, uh, I really appreciate the visit. I, I hope you enjoy the, the trip to St. Louis and uh, wish we could join you because we're hunkered in the backyard in Mesa, Arizona, and we can't do anything. Uh, we, we have to call Walmart and have them throw groceries in the back of our truck and come home. And uh, I think uh, the first 40 years have been the best for Evelyn and me. I think she's about ready to throw me out of the house and Start with just start with a fresh new forty. Well, happy anniversary! Hope you guys have a good day. We just are gonna—I um, don't know what we're gonna do. We're just just getting out of the house and going for a drive. We'll see if we get out. Well, Jan, you're very involved in the uh, coronavirus fight. Uh, you're head of the uh, Southern Illinois uh, uh, Medicine. What what is your office called? SIU Family Medicine. SIU Family Medicine, and you're the executor. You're the head dog there, aren't you? I'm the administrator. The administrator. Good. So how's it going? Uh, we stopped doing COVID testing last week. Why? But then we've seen uh, because uh, the, the, the numbers were going down. And so there was an, uh, another facility opened up beside us but we're thinking about starting that up again so um because the numbers were really going down before like july 4th and uh they were being very manageable so um we quit covid testing but we might start that again uh so numbers continue to increase you think they're going to uh eventually shut the state down you know i think that i i see in carbondale um Several of our restaurants are closed, and we are, the numbers are going up. We actually um, are we're at phase four. We have a modified phase four plan for the School of Medicine, and that means that 
you work one, the administrative staff work one week from home and one week on, and you can only have seventy five percent capacity in the clinic. So we have kind of we've we've pulled back. They also make us wear goggles in the clinic area now. They had stopped that, but I think they think the transmission you have to have a mask and goggles, which I thought was is interesting that uh, they think that it could be transmitted, you know, through your eyes. Yeah, you know, Doctor Fauci very early. Uh, in one of his interviews, mentioned that, and then it went away. Nobody else said anything else, and I was Googling, and I saw a company that made a mask with uh, a plastic shield that went up to under your cap, under the hat. And I ordered a bunch of those, and uh, uh, my immediate family here, or at least I hope they're using them. I use them. Uh, It kind of makes you look spaced out a little bit, but who cares? Uh, right. Who cares what you? It looks better than being in a intensive care unit with tubes down your throat. Right. Are right. you, so are, that, Jan? Are you involved in any of the uh, research for for trying to find a uh, uh, cure for this uh, no. inoculation? Uh, no, I read. You know, uh, every day about how much closer we're getting, and some of my friends actually got on a website where they signed up to be able to be one of the first that are inoculated. Uh, so I guess they're doing studies and you can volunteer, but, um, you know, hopefully we will get it, uh, the vaccine. And they said, I think somebody said maybe 50% effective. Uh, and they say even at 50% it would be um, better than what we have now. Yeah, it'd be lucky if 50% of the people will accept to uh, even receive the first vaccine. We are such so divided as a country on this um, coronavirus where people think it's all a hoax and uh, the refusal to wear masks, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it, and it, it's, it's real. What you just said is not um, just a few people here or there, but... I'm living in a community here that uh, whenever I walk to the mailbox with a mask on, you know, they, they make comments, you know. Do you really think that's really going on? Or are, you, are you living in a dream world? And, and, uh, but then our zip code in Arizona has the highest number of confirmed cases in the state. So, you know, they can, they can do what they say and do what they want to do. I, uh, I'm a chicken. I'm a coward. I like the backyard, the serenity of the backyard. Right. Well, um, it's just scary times. And you don't, you know, if you, even if you don't, even if you're not scared, you should have enough respect for family members and people who are more vulnerable to wear a mask. Yes. And be yes. safe. Absolutely. And also listen to the experts. My gosh. Mr. President, open your eyes and ears. Uh, listen to what Dr. Fauci has. I'll take his word over anybody's at this point. And, yeah. uh, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and this is Waverly. I, I wouldn't say you were a coward. I would say that you're serving the natu- uh, national interest because, really, this is a pandemic. It's not a political issue. And anytime science uh, and medicine are involved, we should all be concerned. You know, and, and it shouldn't be just something that somebody can, has the ability to walk around and say, I'm not going to participate. Well, okay, if you're not going to participate, then why don't you sign this waiver right here that says if you're going to get sick, then you won't get a ventilator. 
Hey, I appreciate you calling me a national treasure. I, 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 I consider that to be the highlight of my 40 years of marriage to my bride, you know? Well, one day, yeah, I thought he kind of, he might want to become a regular on this radio program. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, we're, I think we're going to change the name to the Joe and Waverly uh, idiotic rotors trip. Uh, on the way to St. Louis, you know. Yeah, well, what we'll have to do, Waverly, we'll have to do a regular morning broadcast and uh, give me a couple of days to sell it, and uh, I'll get a bunch of national sponsors, and we'll go on the road, man, you know. Uh, we could do that. Hey, guys, I really appreciate it. I think our maiden voyage with the telephone has been uh, very uh, all-encompassing. I think it's much more than I ever expected from myself, but... Uh, you guys I knew would come through and provide the talent needed for people who are listening to this convoluted whatever we call it and uh, but we are we are on uh, all kinds of outlets we're on uh, Spotify now and Google and and uh, we got nation's best uh, they said uh, uh, anchor see whenever we feed this into anchor uh, anchor is the outlet that we use, then they give it to all the other uh, outlets. And uh, Anchor told us that uh, the outlets usually take from two days to uh, two weeks to approve the content, but they listened to what we had uh, uh, published on Anchor, and they they uh, took us in two days. So we got that. And then we're talking to some national sponsors. and uh, you, want well, to, you want to know who they are? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I, I giggle whenever I say that because it's AARP, of course. And, uh, you know, but the one that uh, depends is the one that's most interested in what we're doing. <laughs> so we're talking to them on a national level. And uh, then KOA campgrounds and, and people like that, uh, people who have uh, more money than common sense is uh, what we're looking for, you know. So anyway, uh, we appreciate the visit. Hey, uh, keep your eye on the road and uh, enjoy the day. And uh, I'll I'll be talking to you guys often if you will talk to me. And uh, I, I've already run Evelyn out to the backyard. She's out pruning grapefruit trees as we speak. So uh, yeah, I think we need to have a mental test for her to see if she's going to make it for another forty. <laughs> Well, hey, this is your national treasure signing off, so you guys have a great time in St. Louis, okay? Okay, love you, Joe. Love you, hon. Love you, Waverly. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye.